You're listening to Fireside Chats Without the Fires podcast, where customer experience enthusiasts are inspired by our weekly CX practitioners and thought leaders who share their insights and knowledge. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Toff and Paul Catherall. Fireside Chats Without the Fires, and this one is going to be a good one because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to bet that you have been getting it wrong. Yes, you heard it correctly. I bet that you have been getting it wrong, but here's the kicker. We have a chance to all get it right. And if we listen to the thoughts and suggestions of our guest, the author of a new book, we have the opportunity to get it right. I am so pleased to welcome on our season two, episode three, Fireside Chats Without the Fires. The title of the session is the same title of his new book, We're Doing CX Wrong. Let us to pause. We're, get, we're doing CX wrong and how to get it right. Nicholas Zeisler, welcome back. This is our second time uh, spending time together. Th- so, so thrilled to have you. Thanks for joining us. Neil, thanks for, for the tenacity to have me back once again. That's, that's gutsy. <laughs> we, uh, we loved our first discussion with you. And I think what we found is that the things that we spoke about in our first interview together now manifest themselves in the book. And if you're watching the video here, I'm going to put up my copy of the book hopefully you can see it the paperback copy uh, by the way just for for the audience remind the, there it is but remind the audience the book is available where how do they get it it's it's on amazon uh hit me up on uh linkedin and there's links all over for that i've been shameless about trying to to plug it good we're all about shameless plugging and we're plugging the heck out of this one because there's some really good stuff in there and i'm not just saying that there's some good stuff because as i as i told nicholas before this the messaging in this book resonates with what is currently in my mind as a CX practitioner, which is question everything. And I don't question everything just to question everything. I question everything because I want a better result. I want a better result for my business, for my clients, and for my clients' customers. And I think by questioning, we begin to find paths to hopefully achieve better results. That's what I love about this book. Sorry, I'm gushing. I will turn off my gushing right now. I'm going to ask a really what I think is a, a good starting off point for this, which is, the, the title of this book, Nicholas, is really powerful. The first part, we're doing CX wrong. And if you're a certain CX professional, you're thinking like, huh? We're doing this wrong? What? But I'm the chief customer officer. But my company has 13 you know, uh, uh, job titles with the name customer experience in it now. You know, we're, we're, we're measuring uh, NPS and we're doing this, that, and the other. What do you mean we're doing it wrong? Please help explain that. Well, <clears throat> you know, Neil, one, um, and thank you, by the way, again, for having me on. Thank you for, for, for such the, so many nice words. Uh, when I started writing the book, just like any other consultant, I'm a fractional chief customer officer. I'm looking for a vehicle to, to share with clients, potential clients, you know, what my framework is, how I, you know, how I would execute on putting CX in somebody's company. And as I was putting all the thoughts and, and, and words together, what I realized was that, you know, the book, it, it was missing some sort of, not, not so much a hook, but some sort of reason, why, why are you even writing this book? Why does it make any difference other than you know, hoping to get in front of people? And then I started thinking about some of the tactical uh, ways in which we do stuff in CX that, that make no sense. And you remember that we talked about it last time I was on about, and we asked this silly question about likelihood to recommend. And I don't mean this, just, it's so easy to come on and just rail against NPS. But if you, if you stop and take a, take a step back as we did with, with the alien <laughs> the last time that I was on, why would we ask a question that we don't really care to know the answer to? 
because we don't really care whether or not somebody's going to recommend us to their their associates and, and, and their family and, and, and friends and so forth. That's not really what we're getting at. And so as I started to kind of like peel that layer, uh, peel the layers back of that onion, I started to think of why we're getting it wrong. And the fundamental for some of the mistakes that we make, another mistake that we make is just surveying people and calling that voice of the customer. And, and, and that's it. That's the only vehicle we're using. And another mistake that we're making is that we get all these insights if we are robust about our voice of the customer program and that we don't do anything with it, which is such a waste of resources. It's a waste of resources, waste of time, waste of energy. And even worse, it's an insult to our customers to take all their insights and just like put it up on a slide and say, we're done with it. <clears throat> Why do we do these things? And I stopped and I thought about it and I, and I reflect on a lot of the conversations that go around the CX community. And here's where you and I were talking about earlier. Um, this is going to rub some people in the CX world the wrong way. Because we talk to each other about happy, happy words and happy thoughts about how, hey, we're, you know, we're change agents and we do so much in, in the world uh, of business as a result of being customer centric and doing CX. Well, that puts it out there, and there are business leaders who are relying on us. You talked about a chief customer officer and, and, and tons of people in an organization with the word customer in their title. But what does it really result in? What do we really get out of it? What happens as a result of, quote unquote, doing CX or being customer centric? And I looked at some of the language that we're using. We talk about ROI. We talk about tying an NPS to market share or revenue or sales as though there's some sort of direct line connection, uh, not just uh, uh, that they're correlated, but that there's a causality relationship in there. And one point of NPS improvement equals guaranteed right? tens of thousands of dollars in revenue next quarter. Well, I'm a statistician, you know, so I like, okay, well, that's a risky proposition. I had, I had a professor when I was in grad school that used to use the term uh, uh, fraught with peril. And that was what came to my mind when I thought of all these CX professionals promising the moon and stars based on increasing NPS when you really can't do that because there's so much else going on. And we talked about ex exogenous factors uh, when, I was on, uh, when I was on your podcast last time. What I realized was, Philosophically, fundamentally, we as CX professionals are so bought into trying to sell ourselves to business leaders that we have convinced ourselves that there is a straight line correlation causation relationship that we then try to sell to business leaders. Well, that's fraught with peril, Neil. <laughs> so instead, what we should do is consider <clears throat> why CX is important to business, why CX is important to, to, to getting things right in, in the first place. For example, uh, your chief HR officer, your CHRO or your chief people officer doesn't have to uh, defend his or her existence in your organizational structure. There's not a question of what's the ROI of HR, Neil? You know, where do we get that money back? You know, what's the increase in revenue? What's, what's the market share that accords with a certain level of excellence in HR, right? You, because people fundamentally understand that HR is important, right? That, that uh, seeking and recruiting and hiring and training and retaining and rewarding great talent is 
in and of itself, intrinsically vital to success of your company, success of your organization. Well, CX is the same thing. And so rather than concentrating on measures like NPS or likelihood to recommend or even satisfaction necessarily, I developed a, a new metric. And that new metric is based on the whole purpose of what CX should be that is intrinsic to our organizations and into our businesses. And that purpose is to align what we're doing and what our customers are experiencing and that brand promise. Okay, so we're gonna get there in just a second. So yeah. here's here's uh, my, my little interpretation of where we're gonna go with this next section here. There are those of us that are still, as much as we wanna get off them, we love metrics. We want the number, we want the score, we wanna know how we're doing, we want something to measure and to benchmark and to go and uh, pound our chest to our boss and to our to our uh, the leadership of our companies and say look look how well we're doing this is what my bonus should be based on what you are recommending i believe is to focus a lot less or none at all on the traditional quote-unquote metrics the kpis of cx the nps the customer effort score the this one the that one the other ones the the the, the all the ones that probably have a lot of bs associated with them forgive the expression yeah here it is Break it down. What is this new metric that you, I believe, have coined? Uh, I'm going. I'm, you're getting full credit for this one. This is brand new that I can tell. Explain it because I love it. Yeah, it's it's called the brand alignment score, Neil. And what it is is it's something that's actually associated with the purpose of CX in the first place. If your reason for doing CX and having CX and customer experience and customer centricity in your organization is to drive revenue, drive sales, drive market share. You know what? Keep NPS. Fine. You're going to have some sort of convoluted and complicated way that you're going to guarantee yourself revenue, you know, based on NPS. Just like you said, one point of NPS means this much in revenue. That's great. Knock yourself out. But if you're truly doing CX because you recognize, as I'd said earlier, the intrinsic value and necessity of being customer centric to the very survival of your business, then you have to stop and think, philosophically, what's important about CX and why do I do CX? Build a metric around that. And so the metric that, that, I, that I've invented, I guess, as you say, is brand alignment score. The whole purpose of doing CX is to align your customer's experiences with your brand promise. When we say brand promise, I'm talking about your mission, your vision, your values, your corporate principles, the, the place in the market that you endeavor to, to occupy, right? So you wanna be the, the discount brand, you wanna be the luxury brand, you wanna be the ease of use brand, you wanna be the highest quality, whatever that brand is, that's what you're trying to sell your customers, right? So your CX metric should be one that asks your customers, measures the response of your customers to the question, hey, how well are we doing when it comes to alignment between what we say we're all about and what you're experiencing when you interact with our brand? And you know, I'll, I'll leave it to everybody else to quibble about whether or not you should zero to 10 and one to five or smiley faces or frowny faces or whatever, however you wanna do it is, is somewhat immaterial. And that kind of get, gets the other point that you have, which is don't even talk to me about the top level score. Let's get into the amplification underneath that and find out, okay, so you're saying we're not doing a good job of delivering, you know, the quality brand. Give us an example of how that's not being delivered. You get dig down into why your customers are giving you those metrics. So it's kind of like a, a, a dual 
discussion that we're having here. One is let's stop using a top level KPI that's stupid and makes no difference and isn't really what we're interested in. And then let's also stop relying solely on that number and let's instead you know, pop the hood and see why we're getting the numbers that we're getting. So let, let's, let's plug in a concrete example. And let's just, we're thinking about this out loud here, putting you on the spot a little bit, I know. Uh, and I'm going to think about this together with you. So if I'm, I don't know, let's just say Walmart, I'm just literally picking this out of the top of my head. If I'm Walmart and if I wanted to adopt a brand alignment score, so at the end of the call, the end of the chat, the end of the email, the end of the interaction with the customer, I would <clears throat> make a statement. Our goal is to be, and let's just, I'm making this up, right? Our goal is to be uh, the leading retailer that provides the greatest selection of goods at the cheapest prices at low effort. I'm, and again, I'm just totally making it up. I'm not, I have no relationship with Walmart. I'm just off the top of my head. I've made a statement to my customers. And then the question I would ask them would be, did I deliver upon that promise? And you said we can score it one to 10, one to five, uh, zero to 10, one to five. Yes or no? Is that, is that an accurate representation here? Yeah, I would say that in, in, in that example, I know we're just kind of like, uh, like shooting from the hip here. I'd say that example is a little trickier as well because there's actually a couple brand promises melded into one there. And I'm not saying that that couldn't necessarily work, but I hear you mentioning in there again, and I know that you're just speaking off the cuff here, uh, greatest selection and lowest price and ease of use. The thing that's important about the brand alignment score and quite frankly, the brand promise itself is it needs to be specific enough that you know that you're not trying to be all things to all people. Because isn't that, Neil, a huge problem that we're making with CX anyway? When we say things like, hey, we need to wow our customers and, and, and blow their doors off every time we interact with them. Well, what the heck does that even mean? If I work on the front line of Walmart, as, you, as, as your example, and Walmart's brand promise is all of those things, how do I know if I'm actually delivering that in the moment that I'm interacting with a customer? And if I get to a decision point, well, I could either do this for the customer or this other thing for the customer. How do I make that decision wisely without having to like say escalate or check my, my employee handbook about what the next procedure is if I'm not exactly sure what that brand promise is supposed to be? So I would say let's narrow down that brand promise to as few, if only one would be the best, as few brand promises at once as, as we can get. But, but your idea about asking the question is right on. And you, you, you articulate and, and, and you repeat what the brand promise is in your VOC program. Hey, our, our, go ahead. Uh, do you know uh, the companies that you consult with, are any of them actually, have they adopted this yet? Or is it just li literally hot off the press brand new? Yeah, we, I, I, did, I did some VOC work with a client recently, and that's how we approached our interview. It was, it was a B2B company, so there wasn't a, a survey involved, but it was, a, it was a series of interviews, and that's the, that's the path we took. Hey, this is what they're trying to do. This is what they're trying to accomplish. Um, how are they doing? You know, wow. I asked two questions. It was, it was, do you feel that they're dedicated to it? Are you, do you find, you know, whether they're delivering on, whether they're executing, whether they're actually successful in, in providing you this brand promise, do you think that they're at least trying and, and that their heart's there? And then that second question was, well, okay, then what's your experience been? Do you feel that they're delivering on it as well? Uh, help break down for us uh, something you alluded to earlier and that we did talk about in our first interview, which I think it just so <clears throat> resonates here, the difference between score data and amplification data. Yeah, you bet. And, and, and thanks, Neil. In fact, I get into this in the book. 
Isn't that what I'm supposed to say when I'm here talking about exactly. the book? Exactly. Uh, yes, I know. I'm glad you chapter asked and that. Verse in chapter, I think it's chapter three. <laughs> yes. chapter oh, I, I should remember. have had that out here. Yeah. Um, so the, there's a difference between, and, and, and this is another thing that I kind of like, I, I have to categorize stuff, Neil, for myself to even to understand it. It's, it's my military background. I could, I could think theoretically about stuff, but I have to title and label things. So I came up with a label of score data and amplification data. And if you think simply on surveys, although it, it applies more broadly. Any way in which you're, you're gathering information, voice of the customer or reflection uh, about your brand, no matter what your vehicle, you can, you can receive data in, in two ways. One is score data and one is amplification data. And score data, as the name suggests, is about that KPI more or less. And it may not necessarily be the KPI, but it's like that number. How many times this, you know, what's your, what's your value that you as a customer, even if it's objectively or rather subjectively place on your experience was that's where you get the sevens, eights, nines, and tens from NPS or whatever it might be. That's the score data. That's what your top level brass uh, is going to look at on the PowerPoint slide. That's what you're going to compare to how you did last week, how you did last month or last quarter. It's going to be how you measure where you are right? What our customers think about us. And then the next is, is the amplification data. It's asking more or less, well, why did I get a seven, right? What would it take to get an eight or a nine or a 10? Uh, what led you to score us that way? And that's really where the magic is. There's nothing really valuable in that score data. Ironically, that's what your leadership wants to see the most, and it's actually the least valuable. Uh, but in moving that data, you need the amplification data that's behind it. And that can some, that's not just, you know, let's take text data, you know, t data analytics from the text. It can also be measurable. It can also be, okay, well, how long did you wait, right? And, and uh, you know, how many calls did it take to resolve your issue? Amplification data doesn't necessarily have to be free-flowing text, but it's the sort of data that allows you to take action. It points in the direction of where you can improve the things that you're doing, which really should be the whole purpose of, of your, your VOC Insights program in the first place. Exactly. I think one of the great uh, criticisms of many of our VOC programs is we get a lot of data, but we don't do two things with it. We don't ask why. Why did I get this? Why am I being scored this? Normally, we just don't even maybe even do anything with the data anyway. We just let it sit there. Yeah. Right? I think you quote Nate Brown, uh, you know, who we all love uh, yep. very effectively here. The, the point that Nate makes and that you, you strike again here is that the whole point of this doesn't end with the data once you have it. it be, that's the beginning point once you have the data, yep. right? Yeah. And that's what many of our organizations, I think, are not doing anything or, or not enough with, right? Yeah, that's one of the ways in which we're doing CX wrong, Neil, is that we're not doing anything with the data. And I go back to the beginning. As I started to think about why we do certain things wrong, it's because we're not invested and we're not serious about being customer centric if all we're doing is looking at data. And if all we're look at doing is looking at score data, well, then you're not really doing CX at all, frankly. And that comes, frankly, and I'll go back again, I'll be critical of, of, of us you know, to a degree as, as a, a profession. If we don't think that the whole reason to do CX is to improve and fix and change the things that we do internally as an organization, then it's all just words. Yeah. And may it, go ahead. Sorry. 
Well, I was just going to say, and, and, and a great example of that being the case is what you just said, Neil, recording data and just reporting it and, and taking insights and, and, and using a VOC uh, program to do nothing other than just look at it. May it discontinue being at just words and numbers. May it actually take on meaning. Yeah, and I absolutely. think that's one of the great takeaways uh, of the book is not only that, but your suggestions, instructions, formulation of new ideas of how to do that. That's what yeah. I most appreciate about the book. Um, we're going to do this. There's so much great stuff in this book. I don't want to ask you to e explain it and give it all away. What I want people to do is just go get the book, read it. It's, it's, uh, let's see, it's, uh, I should know this. It's, uh, 90 pages, 90 pages yeah. of a paperback book. It's an easy book. It's an, an easy, easy book to read. It's actually easy. <clears throat> it, it flows. It's, uh, it's not stressful. It just asks some questions and great, gives great examples. My recommendation to our audience and to your readers and fans and friends, read it. You're going to learn something. It's going to challenge you. You're going to be provoked, hopefully, uh, because a lot of us are actually guilty of doing some of this stuff. And it's okay to be guilty of it. Like, we're learning, we're fixing, but we cannot sit back on our laurels and say, wow, we're doing CX really well, because as the book suggests, we're doing CX wrong, but here's a prescription, dot, 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 how to get it right. Neil, I couldn't, I couldn't add anything to that. <laughs> you do a video for, uh, for my feed. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do want to mention that, yeah, there's a lot of criticism in this book, uh, but yeah, as they teach you in the military, come with solutions, not with problems. And so I, I, I do line out my framework and, and, and the way to, to, to get it right that I believe and, and, and I've found in my own experience works. Uh, you can inject and and put this into your company into your business and actually do cx and it'll deliver on, on on your behalf wonderful we are wishing you all the best with the book in your consulting practice uh we're cheering you on by the way uh, i i'm going to uh make one mention if you get the book there's a great little acknowledgement section and paul and i are so honored to have our names mentioned in the acknowledgement section that is a true honor uh, thank you for that. We are among great company here with the other people that you've you've mentioned. It is a, a, a real privilege to uh, know that in some way, shape or form, we, I don't know, impacted you, got to have uh, the opportunity to exchange ideas with you and and have this relationship. We're just grateful for that. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of the errant, um, uh, crazy thoughts that went into the book came right from a conversation that you and uh, and Paul and I had a few months ago. In fact, That's great. Thank you. Paul May. Uh, you get to wrap this one up. How are you feeling at the conclusion of we're doing CX wrong and how to get it right? I think I know yeah, the answer. Yeah, but this is this is amazing. I can't wait to get stuck into the book. And uh, Nicholas, I, I personally want to thank you so, so much for the acknowledgement. Um, I've never been called out in a book to my knowledge and certainly not in a good way. Um, so to get that uh, acknowledgement on there, it, it means the world to me. I was very stoked when uh, Neil shared it with me yesterday. So thank you so, so much. Well, thanks. Thanks to you both for, for, for your thought leadership and, and, and pulling these things out of folks. Uh, love fireside chats. Uh, really have enjoyed uh, listening to you guys again, flattered and honored to be back again and, and, and look forward to uh, coming back and arguing with you uh, another time still. <laughs> we look forward to being argued with. Thank, thank you so much. Once again, audience, we're doing CX wrong and how to get it right. Nicholas Zaisler, uh, really great uh, book that has just been published. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, check his LinkedIn feed for the exact link, but you can certainly just go ahead and find it on Amazon by, by doing a search. Uh, 
wrapping up season two, episode three with Nicholas Zaisler. We are really happy to have had you. Thank you once again. Audience, go get the book. Do yourselves a favor. Great read. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. The episode is over, but the conversation continues. Please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Post a comment and subscribe to stay on the leading edge of customer experience. To get in touch or be a guest, follow us on Twitter at ChatsFires or on LinkedIn or in your podcast repository of choice. Thank you.